0: Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups, where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. Today is January 26th, 2024. My name is Alex. I am joined today by two of my besties. On one hand, I have Mary Ann Azevedo. Mary Ann, all I can say is hashtag Forbes strike. Let's go. Oh, yeah, man. Brutal week in the media world, for sure. Yeah. We also have Kirsten Korosek, though. And in Kirsten, I hear there's no bad news whatsoever in the world of automotive, especially if you're Elon Musk.
1: Yeah, absolutely zero bad news at all, including shares being down something like 12.5% today following the big earnings day, which shows maybe sales growth is slowing in 2024.
0: It turns out that if you keep cutting your prices, if you sell more cars, your revenue doesn't go up. Mm, yeah, that whole margin thing is mm. is tricky. Yeah, I, I will say watching Tesla maybe get treated as a car company for once is interesting. We'll have to see how that all works out. But on the show today, we're not talking about Tesla because we have too much startup stuff to get to. Deals of the week, including Plural, Vroom, and Fantoine. Then the first theme is we're talking about what happened to Brex. This is essentially a FinTech conversation, looking backwards, looking forwards. And then we're going to do something we haven't done in a very long time, an EdTech check-in. Yes, we do miss Natasha here on the show, but we shall carry on her torch for her by talking about education technology, featuring one of our friends from the team. To kick things off, though, Marianne, you wanted to talk about Plural, which apparently has a big new fund. Yeah, Plural is
2: a VC firm based in Europe, and they actually just closed on a new $432 million fund, which... I mean, for Europe, that's pretty large. I I was impressed with that number. And Alex just spit out his coffee for those of you who can't see. Well, I mean, we do
0: have a relatively sizable (laughs) European audience, and now you just belittled their entire venture capital. This was was supposed to be a success. Now you're all like, oh, for Europe, it's not that bad. You know, in America, it'd be a seed fund, but hey. Well,
1: I think context matters here, which is that the economic situation in Europe hasn't been great. So I think what Marianne meant to say was that For this time period, it, it is impressive, right? Thank you, Kirsten. Yes, yes,
2: yes, indeed. Uh, Europe, as the rest of the world, has seen a, a slump in terms of startup investment. Twenty twenty one, there was a record hundred billion dollars raised by startups. Twenty twenty three, that dropped to about forty five billion. But this firm is just moving forward. I, I was also impressed that they originally launched in June of twenty twenty two. Yes, they raised a two hundred and fifty million euro fund at that time, which they still haven't finished deploying out of, which I also thought was interesting. They're very early stage focused rather than growth rounds. And also another interesting thing about this firm is that it was started by founders of other companies. So they're operators, including, and I'm not going to say the name because I will butcher it terribly, uh, from Wise, formerly TransferWise, and someone from Songkick as well.
0: You can't say Tava Henriquez? Come on. It's not that bad. Unless I just ruined it. Sorry.
1: Yeah. I mean, Alex, if we've learned anything on this show is that he really is the epitome of how to pronounce names of companies (laughs) and people 100% all the time.
0: So true. I'm only 50% sure. Anyways, yes, it is cool that it's founders. It's the European founders fund minus the, the douchebaggery.
2: Well, I'm not I'm I don't want to leave out the other two founders then. And I'll I'll go ahead and follow your bravery, Alex. Sten, Tom Keeve, and Ian Hogarth, which was easier. Yes.
1: So the the founders piece of this I found really interesting. And I was gonna ask Alex if you think that that gives them potentially an edge in sorting out and picking early stage startups that might have more success. Mm. Or Does it have the opposite effect potentially that they might be, you know, not having the investor mindset? Like what's your take?
0: Well, there's actually VCs do three things. One, they fundraise two, they select investments and then three, they help those investments. Right. So I'm going to leave aside the first point and focus on the latter two, which is kind of what you're asking about. I don't know if former founders are better investment selectors, essentially, but the general vibe that I've heard from a lot of people who have worked with VCs of different backgrounds is that if you do have operators on your cap table and in your boardroom, well, they can actually help you with a lot more kind of operational hands-on advice. So I don't know enough to vet if they're better selectors, but certainly I think once they're in place, they do quite well. And I think you have more founder empathy if you've been in those trenches, you know,
2: I would agree with that. I think founders can benefit from from people who have actually experienced what they are doing firsthand.
0: Yeah. Also, I just want to say I was overly harsh on Marianne's not even actually mean comment about Europe because I just looked up Germany's GDP growth in 2023 and it was negative. So that's not good. All right, take (laughs) it back. 400 million euro or 432 million American freedom dollars is a great new fund size for Europe. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, That came off as so so oddly pejorative. I'm actually pretty bullish on Europe this year. If you look at like Mistral and what Kittle is doing, and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of cool companies in Europe. So it's good to see more capital. Full stop, all jokes aside. Going back to jokes, though, Kirsten, uh, Vroom, apparently a company that used to sell cars now apparently doesn't sell cars.
1: What's going on? Yeah, not selling cars anymore. So I I wanted to pick Vroom in part because you, you actually wrote a lot about the IPO a couple of years ago. It, they went public in 2020. They did a traditional IPO, which was unusual for the time because this is the meme stock era. This is when a lot of SPACs were happening, which fueled that meme stock era. So Vroom, came about around a decade ago. They were part of this batch of companies that were going to disrupt used car sales by bringing it online and creating this marketplace with an app and usually folding in some other pieces like financing and things like that. A bunch of these companies came around 2014, 2015, 2013. Most of them have since died. Carvana was is the one... One of the few that are left also publicly traded. So the news is this, Vroom is exiting online used car business. So they are shutting down the e-commerce piece, which is going to result in 800 employees, about 90% of its workforce, but they're not shutting down altogether. And here's the pivot. They are going to keep operational two companies they acquired a couple of years ago an auto financing company and car story, which is a company that developed, basically uses machine learning to scroll through millions of vehicle listings every day and create predictive data. And those two companies are selling their products as you know, to third parties. So they're going to keep those two pieces operational.
0: Okay. So just to be clear, Vroom starts life as a used car online marketplace Vroom later on buys two companies. Vroom then later, later on gets rid of its original business and is now only those two companies that it bought. That's what happened this week. Yeah. So in essence, (laughs) its entire first run at business was simply a prelude to owning two other things that it didn't found.
1: Correct. And what's more wild is that the company acquired the auto financing company for about 300 million in cash in 2021. And car story for about 120 million in cash and stock. So that is a lot of money. And if you look at their stock today, have you looked at it recently?
0: Yeah, 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 I have. Currently trading at 26 cents per share. And I have some data for you, Kirsten. Yes, please. Over the last month, it's off 60%. In the last six months, it's off 88.4%. And if you pull the timeline all the way back, it's off 99.4%, which is. Damn, close to hundred. Right, and what is it valued at? Oh. What's the market valuation? According to Google Finance, as of Thursday afternoon, the company is worth thirty-seven point three two million dollars on a market cap basis, which is essentially wow. one large Series A. Yes,
1: and a fraction of what it paid for those other two companies. So oh, sorry. we'll see. Right. That's what you were asking for. Now, <laughs> that's what I was. That's the connection. It will be very interesting to see if they can pull this off. Predictive data can be valuable. Auto financing certainly is something that traditional automakers and other online use car marketplaces have gotten into, but we'll see if Room can pull it off.
0: Well, it's not the only company that we've seen struggle in this way, Marianne. We have a couple other examples that we've been talking about. So are you shocked to see Room down this far or parf the course?
2: I think I am intrigued by all of this in general. I remember when the craze first started and, and few of us would, would talk about it and we're like, who would want to buy a car online and, you know, something they'd never seen or test driven. And then it just became sort of more like commonplace and, you know, cause you could return the car within like seven days, you know? So I think what I'm, what I'm really curious about is what, what happened to make this model pretty much fail so miserably?
1: Well, There's a a few reasons. All kind of going back to about 2020, you saw companies like Hertz and things struggle and then all of a sudden do better based on inventories and prices of vehicles. We've seen used car prices skyrocket, and some of these companies have benefited from that. But as interest rates have risen and people have trouble getting financing, they're not, they're holding off on buying those vehicles. So that's also an issue. Also, a lot of these companies as new efforts were spending a lot of money buying and acquiring other companies and burning through cash at a very high rate. So had they, let's say held firm and not done these other pieces, maybe they would have had a bit more of runway. I guess to close this though, I'm wondering, Alex, if remove the marketplace that they're trying to do, is this more of an indication of the cycle of IPOs that happen around 2020? Because we've seen a few in other categories not do so well. Zoom, Coinbase, Affirm, DocuSign, too simple. So is this the business or a bigger,
0: broader problem? Uh, it's a it's a great question. Actually, I, w- I was thinking a lot about when you were describing Vroom's birth and then ascent and then later struggles, I wonder how much of companies like Vroom was essentially predicated on people spending tons more time on the mobile internet, like apps, essentially. Like how much did apps really change the way companies were built in the kind of the post iPhone era? I don't know. I like to look more into that. Answering your question, a lot of companies. Soared very high during the pandemic. Um, I think we all saw how far our firm stock went up in Coinbase and so forth. And then many of those have come down. The difference, though, Kirsten, to answer your question, is that uh, Coinbase is still worth billions. Zoom is still worth billions. A firm's having a great year. DocuSign is going to get sold probably to private equity. And when it comes to Vroom, all I can say is car off cliff. So I would say it is distinct (laughs) and not quite the same as the other examples. But the shape of the chart does share quite a lot, I'd say. Sure. And speaking of things that aren't always going well around the world, but there's still momentum in not just used cars, also food delivery. And so I want to talk today about Fantuan acquiring Chow Bus, because this story confused me quite a lot. And I'm going to tell everyone what's going on. So first of all, there is a company based out of Canada called Fantuan, and they do essentially delivery of Asian food in the Canadian market. Then there's an American company called Chowbus, based in Chicago, that did the same thing. However, Chowbus has become more like Toast over time, which is an industry POS or proof proof of point of sale solution. And so, what's happened is Fantuan has bought Chowbus's delivery business, essentially making Chowbus more of a software company and Fantuan a larger delivery company in the Asian food space. Did that make sense?
1: Yes, and actually, it makes so much more sense to me for the software piece being a value. However, I would say this, there is a lot of competition in the point of sales world and there's some big players. And so I'm wondering how this gives them an edge. I mean, what is it worth the value of the acquisition price, I guess?
0: So I think it'll depend quite a lot on their ability to sell inside of their core market. Because if you're thinking about where ChaoBo started and what its restaurant profile probably is, it probably has a pretty good footprint inside of, and I'm going to speak very broadly here, but Asian cuisine in North America, which is a lot of different categories, a lot of different cuisines and cultures and so forth. But- Toast, based in Boston, doesn't seem to have as much of a single market focus. And so I presume you can tailor your solution and then also know certain other restaurant networks, communities, and so forth. So I can see it working out. And if if Toast has taught us anything, it's that providing a vertical SaaS solution mixed with payments can be simply an enormous business, Kirsten. So I don't see why it wouldn't work for Chalbus, frankly.
2: Yeah, it seems like it was a, it's a good strategy on their part and, you know, kind of, Focusing on this just one particular segment, we've questioned that model in spaces like fintech, where we talk about neobanks focusing on certain demographics and how that doesn't really always pan out. But in this case, I do think that it can make sense. But overall, the whole deal has potential, just like you said, Alex. I think sometimes, what is it? One plus one can equal three.
0: That that is business school math for sure. (laughs) Versus versus math math.
1: But software isn't always a win. Absolutely true. Yeah. Software is tough. I'm teeing you up for a transition here.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought you were teeing me up to 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 say more words. You're te- oh, you're teeing me up to shut me up. Oh, well, too bad, Kirsten. I'm going to drop and not do that because I just pulled up Olo's Q3 results. Now, if you don't know Olo, they're like toast, but different. And they prove that there's actually enough room for at least one more POS provider in the restaurant space because both toast and Olo are growing nicely. So I think there should be room for Uh, a a more focused offering in that space, just because there's so much demand for cuisine of that type. And now I shall take your offered segue and say, hey, everybody, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Brex and the world of fintech and how some people are still on the struggle bus. But first, a short break. Marianne, I'm so glad we have fintech back on the show because whenever we talk about fintech, the sun comes out, the daisies come out of the ground and birds sing because it's always good news.
2: Um, are we talking about the same thing, Alex?
0: That's what we call performative sarcasm.
2: (laughs) I am way too literal, right? Because I was like, Alex... Do you you not remember what we're about to discuss, which is the fact that Brex this week laid off 20% of its staff, which was nearly 300 people or 282 people. Now, for those of you who have never heard of Brex, I can quickly tell you it's an expense management startup. Just two years ago, it was valued at $12.3 billion, which, you know, this was obviously a very different time Breck started out as a as this company that was offering a credit card for startups and you know it was really popular very buzzy over the years it kept evolving its model in 2022 it, it tried to or it's still trying to i think expand into software to diversify its business it saw a bump in business last year after the silicon valley bank collapse but it appears to be struggling a little bit according to some reports from the information for example it reportedly burned 17 million dollars a month in the fourth quarter of 2023 and actually from what else i've read that's less than it was burning before which was about 26 million dollars a month 26 million dollars a month this is reportedly i don't have that confirmed um but you know the company still is insisting that Yes, revenue may have stalled after the bump in business it saw after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. It still grew by 35% in 2023 is what what they're saying. Another thing the information reported was that it uh, supposedly only had enough cash until March 2026. The company insists they have about four years of runway. It's just another example of a, a company that was kind of this high flying flashy startup that really does appear to be having its challenges. Now, the question is, you know what happened? Um, is it the model? Is it the management? Is it the space? I mean, we could probably go on and on about this.
1: Okay, I have a couple of questions. I know fintech has had its struggles. Certainly, we have lots of examples we've talked about on this show and also in our coverage over at TechCrunch. But I'm wondering, in this specific case, do we know what they were spending money on? Is this a human issue, meaning they overhired and their payroll is just far too large, or are they putting money into future products? Because that's sort of tells me two different potential avenues. One, not as bad as the other.
2: My guess is probably a little bit of both. When announcing the layoffs, the co-CEO did say that moving forward, the company was going to emphasize, quote, long-term thinking and ownership over short-term gains in its comp structure, which does imply that there were, were some issues with how it was compensating employees. I wouldn't be surprised if they overhired and overpaid a lot of people, but I do think it it is still trying to diversify because it's startup customers have been spending less just as many other companies who have customers that are startups over the past couple of years with all these high interest rates. Um, the software expansion, I don't know how that's going you know, it's tried it, last year. It also announced it was going to try to dedicate itself back to startups with a hiring of, I think it was Jason mock. So anyway, I, I feel like the company's been going in a lot of different directions, which the CEO himself had, had told me at one time is they were trying to do too many different things and going into too many different directions. I feel like it just needs to sit down and, and focus.
0: That the, it's the curse of too much money. Brex was one of the most high profile companies during the pandemic era. It grew very quickly. And to its credit, I think the information also reported that the revenue last year at the end was like something like 280 million. We don't know if that's a trailing figure or a run rate figure, but either way, Brex has scaled far in excess of the minimums required to go public. It is a startup success story. It's not a great late stage unicorn value maintaining entity, but as a startup, it did great. I think what it's struggling with is how do you go from being a startup to being a non startup? And apparently it has some maturing to do, but I don't want to diminish from the how big it did get. That's cool. No, it's
2: a good point, Alex. Um, Yeah. Growing paints could be one way to describe this. The company's annualized net revenue was reportedly $279 million in the fourth quarter. So again, to your point, Alex, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's that's pretty good numbers. So shout (laughs) out Rex. (laughs) It's yeah, it it is. They're good numbers, right? It's not like it's it's failing miserably or anything of the sort. But I think the issue is that it did see that bump mostly in the first quarter of the year. Growth seemed to stall out for the rest of the year. So what's next? Obviously, it's trying to to minimize burn with the layoffs here. But yeah, we'll see what happens next.
1: So I've seen sort of a similar scenario play out in my world, uh, specifically in sort of the autonomous vehicle space in which very buzzy companies, the ones with a lot of money have had to roll that back, cut staff, cut costs. And then there are uh, competitors, let's say, that have been maybe not as buzzy um, have raised less money and have had to figure out ways to make those dollars stretch a lot longer. So bringing it back to Brex, is there a comparison here where there's another company or competitor that has managed to do more with less money and is actually in a better position?
2: Well, Well. interesting that you bring that up, Kirsten, (laughs) and both Alex and I are obviously eager to discuss this. Um, Okay, first of all, this is a very, very crowded space, right? There are so many companies in it, including Ramp, Navon, Bill.com, ARC, the list can go on and on. Navon had its own layoffs in December, but one company in the space that has yet to lay off any employees that we know of is Ramp. Now, these two are, are really very public rivals. There was a a Twitter, I don't know what's the word, dispute very recently too, just about one of the VCs from Ramp posting numbers about Brex that Brex said wasn't accurate, on and on and on. Ramp apparently, last time I re- recall, only has a few hundred employees. And Brex, as of, let's see, as of its last layoffs had about 1,150. So that's probably down to about under 900 now. Uh, So yeah, it's it's definitely operated in a more lean manner. I don't remember offhand how much it's raised, but it too has raised hundreds of millions of dollars.
0: And I was going to say, I don't think I've seen any accounts of layoffs at AirBase for example, Mary, yeah, that also, could be not think so. But yeah. then I was frantically doing what I call in-show Googling and um, some of its glass door notes are slightly less than positives. So there may have been some culling there on the sales side, but there's a difference between some trimming of, and I hate the word fat because these are humans we're talking about, but trimming of cost basis in certain parts of a business and layoffs you announce like Brex has. So I, I would say to Kirsten's point, it had the most excess in its category
1: and and i would also say at least again in my world being lean hasn't always translated into success either um in every single case right so it's allowed them for some companies to stay on stay on the path longer, find those partners, get to revenue. A lot of this is frontier tech. But in this case, I'm wondering, do we have insight? Sure, they haven't had big public layoffs, these other competitors. But do we have insight into their revenue? Like, how are they actually, are they making money? And are they really actually competing with Brex?
0: So the thing here, and I know Marianne is the real expert, but uh, there was always a question of like, do you charge for it or not? And a lot of expense management companies just took interchange revenues for a long time, like Ramp especially. Airbase was always more software focused. Brex split the difference. So Marianne, I'm curious, what do we know about who's uh, growing the fastest out of the group?
2: Yeah, I was just trying to look that up about ramp has, um, has shared how much its revenue was I'm trying, I'm sorry, trying to scramble here to look it up. But I, I believe, as of last year, it was Oh, yeah, here we go. Yes, I was right. I was right. In August of last year, ramp confirmed that it had passed 300 million in annualized revenue, which is very close <laughs> to what Brex has shared.
0: Uh, no, well, Brex didn't share. All right. <laughs> the information shared. <laughs> and then what matters to me there, Marianne, is that Ramp, which was born after Brex and was essentially heralded as a Brex clone at the start and mocked as such, has surpassed Brex in terms of total revenue. Now, we have to move on because there's one more thing we need to talk about today, and it is, it is another realm of uh, a troubled sector to some degree, but there is good news to talk about here, and I'm not being sarcastic this time. So what we're going to do is we're going to tap on the shoulder of Corrine Levy. She is fantastic, and she's also my um, you know comrade in arms over at TechCrunch Plus and has joined us today to talk about what's going on in EdTech. Corrine, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here.
0: You've now been sitting here stuck listening to us ramble for 25 minutes. So impressions, how's Equity doing?
3: You guys are doing a great job. I'm really excited to join the team today to talk about EdTech.
0: And uh, your $5 for saying that will be in the mail. Um, So first (laughs) of all, Karine, tell us uh, what we got here. We have a new investor survey of sorts to chew through.
3: Yeah, so we did, we surveyed four investors who are in the EdTech space, which we thought was a good time to look into that space because we haven't in quite a while as you mentioned at the top of the show. So, you know, during the pandemic everybody was scrambling to learn at home and learn on the beach and learn wherever they were um and so, you know, edtech was booming. And after the pandemic kind of it's not over, but after the pandemic, you know, allowed us to return to more normal lives, then, you know, it started to drop a little bit. And it's not as significant as the rest of the VC world where deals have um, been dropping, but it's down.
0: Yeah. Marianne, we saw some news from Baiju's that for at least some formerly high flying tech companies, it's a tough time out there.
2: Yeah. It's looking to raise a hundred million to $200 million in new funding, and it's willing to cut valuation to below 2 billion. This company was previously valued at $22 billion. So that is a massive drop.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the amount of capital we're seeing decelerate in this space is not entirely due to just the changes in COVID and so forth, but also occasionally due to regulatory policy. Don't forget that the Chinese government made drastic changes to what was allowed in its own ed tech market, aka after-school tutoring, that did shake up, for example, that local um, ed tech market. So, there's some secular things here, and there's also just some trends going on. But the cool thing, Karin, is that uh, a lot of VCs we talk to are actually Surprisingly optimistic about where AI and edtech can come together and hopefully make some new magic.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that stood out to me that one of the investors said in the survey was that companies can enjoy the tailwinds of AI. So, you know, people will either need reskilling in areas of focus like AI for their work, or, you know, there will be a lot of companies that are leveraging AI to make their products a little bit better or easier. Some of the you know, ideas that were for kids. You know, making education a little more fun, so AI could help with that, like animate voices or create voices. I guess for animations is probably more correct, um, and then that'll help kids get more into it. But again, as one other uh, investor said, that AI itself isn't like an edtech product, which I thought was um, another kind of interesting way of looking at it. However, like putting AI onto an edtech product is where the money is
1: at. So glad to see that one investor isn't taking the AI buzz bait on that one. But I'm wondering, because that person specifically talked about that pairing, are we seeing as a result, some consolidation or acquisitions by tech to sort of build up that technology prowess?
0: Yeah, I forget which of the four investors it was, but one of them mentioned how um, there is some M&A going on. And also people are looking to sell earlier because in the wake of the Figma Adobe deal getting shit canned over antitrust concerns, absolutely fairly, by the way, uh, people are are saying buy earlier to avoid antitrust gaze, if you will. And I think that actually applies not just to tech but to everywhere.
3: Yeah. And like speaking of consolidation, I mean, that same investor was saying that, you know, places like Microsoft and Google and, you know, all the big ones can probably do some M&A activity around AI. And then that's where we'll be seeing some of the consolidation from some of the big companies.
0: Marianne, I'm curious because you have school age children and were a parent through the COVID homeschooling era. How much of the ed tech stuff has stuck around in your kids' lives or is it kind of all faded away and things are back to normal, normal?
2: It stuck around to some degree. I would say, and this this stood out to me in the survey, that the more interesting aspects of ed tech is when they're making it, it makes it learning more fun for students because obviously a lot of a lot of kids struggle with paying attention and getting interested in certain topics. So when there's a way to actually make it more interesting and fun to learn, that's a win. And one of the investors was saying that they predicted education would be more like a video game and that gaming developers would venture into the realm of education. I thought that was really an interesting point. And I could see that happening and I could see where the potential for that would take off because, you know, just ed tech in general, if if you can't make learning fun, it's not going to do very well in my opinion.
0: Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to make my very first ever um, stock market endorsement then based on what Marianne just said. Buy stock in Paradox Interactive. Who needs economic class when you have Victoria 3? Who needs to take European history when you have Crusader Kings 3? Who needs city management classes when you have City Skylines 2? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Get yourself a grand strategy game today. No, I
3: totally agree with that. Like, I learned everything I need to know about France from Assassin's Creed.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <on And> <laughs> everyone learned about my home state through Oregon Trail, the video game. Oh, my goodness. Ah, oh, there you go. Yes. Mm-hmm. All the
1: starvation and what else happens in Oregon dysentery. Trail? It's been Lots so many years. Dysentery. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I, I know it feels like a million years ago, but it, I was just reminded that at Disrupt, we had Shaquille O'Neal on stage and he was talking about investing in a seed round for a ed tech startup called EdSoma, which oh, yeah. which developed an AI powered reading education and communication platform for children. And it's meant to make it fun. So sort of interesting to see then these new players kind of getting into it at a
0: seed level as well. So. All right. And uh, I do believe that now uh, Kirsten just tasked Teresa, our intrepid producer with getting Shaq on the show to talk more (laughs) about Ed Soma. So she'll get to work on that. But we are done for this week, my friends. Equity, of course, is back next Monday, next Wednesday, next Friday with interviews sprinkled in as they happen. And we have a good one brewing. First, thanks to Kareen. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We will see more of you. And of course, thanks to Kirsten and Marianne and to myself for being here as always. If you want more from us, we are Equity Pod on X and Threads. And if you like short form videos, as well. We're TechCrunch Pods over on TikTok. Goodbye. Equity is hosted by myself, editor-in-chief of TechCrunch Plus, Alex Wilhelm, and TechCrunch senior reporter, Mary Ann Azevedo. We are produced by Teresa Loconsolo with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. And a big thank you to the audience development team and Henry Picavette, who manages TechCrunch Audio Products. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.